Hello, and welcome to the Paterno Fellows Podcast, a podcast designed to help students navigate the requirements of the Paterno Fellows Program through exploring research, service, creative opportunities, and engaging in meaningful conversation about contemporary campus issues. This is a podcast created by and for the students of the Paterno Fellows Program. I'm your host, Ladin Suleiman, and today we'll be discussing studying abroad. Study abroad programs are a major component of the Paterno Fellows Program experience. All fellows are required to pursue a study abroad experience of at least five weeks in a target country, or that is, complete an internship with at least 150 hours of work. For those whose study abroad plans were disrupted by the pandemic, the directors are currently approving alternative experiences that showcase cultural exchange and global awareness, which are, of course, essential to the makeup of any accomplished Paterno Fellow. Joining us today to discuss the study abroad process is Susan Nell, Director of the Liberal Arts Career Enrichment Network. We are also joined by Paterno Fellow aspirants Srishti, Charles, and Ezra, who will share their study abroad experiences and offer insight into the process. Srishti is a senior majoring in global and international studies who has studied in the Netherlands. Charles is a senior double majoring in political science and economics, and Ezra is a senior majoring in economics. Both Charles and Ezra have fulfilled their study abroad requirements in London. Welcome, Susan, Srishti, Charles, and Ezra. It is a pleasure to have you all with us here today. I want to start with the aspirants. We just briefly introduced where each of you decided to pursue your study abroad experiences. Can you each give us, in in no specific order, an account of how you decided on the countries and programs that you did? I, I decided on going to London when I was a freshman. I was in Petit on the third floor, and I was looking at programs because I had um, I, I wasn't that happy during my first semester, and I was looking for some some place I could go other than Penn State. And I came across the London School of Economics, and um, at that time, I was really interested in learning more about the intersection of environmental and economic policy. And I had read a book by someone who's had gotten their PhD at the London School of Economics, so. I Googled it, found a program where I could go. Um, unfortunately, I wasn't able to, to apply when I was a freshman. So I waited another year, then I applied and was accepted. And um, I went and along the way, I told Ezra about the same program because we were becoming friends around that time and um, he applied as well. Yeah, I remember um, Charles and I met through the PLA, Presidential Leadership Academy. And there was one night where uh, we were playing pool in the hub and Charles was telling me that he had just been accepted to the program. And I asked, Oh, wow. Like, you know, is the application over? And it ended up being a rolling application. So I kind of completely jumped on that. You know what? I don't think it was a night that we were playing pool. We actually went to the hub to watch like a dance competition. Do you remember Charles? I think it might've been the dance competition. I don't remember specifically. But anyways, and then and then I was studying economics and also kind of looking for a change of pace outside of Penn State. But and I'm sure we'll get into this like reflections on studying abroad. But it made me appreciate Penn State a lot more because of how different the academic structure was in London and how much more self-paced it was rather than like kind of regimented and, and with like these uh, regular check-ins like it is in the United States. So I, I had when I came back to Penn State, you know, for my senior year, just this past year, I've appreciated a lot more uh, because of the differences. So, 
for me, I feel like I always knew I was going to study abroad. Um, and I picked a major that encourages that on top of all the requirements for Fatuna Fellows and, and things like that. Um, but for someone like me who's already traveled to quite a um, amount, um, I wanted to go somewhere like I hadn't been before. Um, so finding a place was a little bit <laughs> difficult, I feel like, and something that I wanted to do for sure was kind of get involved with like international justice and, and all of that. So I've always wanted to like, one of my like dreams is to work for the United Nations. So, um, I wanted to kind of like see if there was a program like that. And coincidentally, when I was looking sophomore year, um, a professor in sociology and criminology um, had recently posted a study abroad program that was in line with that and pan uh, partnered with the Anne Frank House, actually. So that was going to be in the Netherlands. And I was just reading the program. And honestly, I was so excited by it that I it was so new. So I didn't really know what was going to happen. Um, so I just like met him one day in his office and kind of just asked him about it. And he was like, yeah, it's just on a rolling basis, like apply now and go for it. So that's kind of just what I did. And that's kind of how I ended up doing that. And that was over the summer um, between sophomore and junior year. Great, great. Um, I heard Ezra talked about earlier how the sort of the schedule was a little bit more loose and how he was able to come back and to Penn State and sort of appreciate the, the schedule differently. Um, so this is a, a question kind of directed towards uh, Susan. So how can we plan and register for courses that we're planning to take in our study abroad experience? So it really varies by program. So Srishti, the program she was talking about, it's a little bit more structured in the sense that she already knew when she applied to that program, which courses she would be taking. Whereas I'm guessing that Ezra and Charles probably had some choices within the LSE program, which courses would work best for them. So if you're applying to a program that's offered by Penn State's Education Abroad Office, the program page will give you some guidelines about academics and some of the historical courses that Penn State students have taken on that program and how they've transferred back to Penn State. Uh, but typically students would work with their academic advisor to determine which classes they could take abroad and how those would fit into their academic degree program. Um, it's pretty individualized because it, it kind of depends on what your objectives are going abroad. Sometimes I'll meet students who are maybe double majors, but their focus is on language acquisition while they're abroad. So they're really taking those courses that are more language focused or um, you know, maybe they're in a major that makes it a little bit harder for them to take academic coursework um, upper level courses in their major. So they're taking gen eds. Um, so it really varies a lot. And I think, you know, conversations with your academic advisor and even the ed abroad advisor um, are really kind of important in that planning process. Since you said it's a very individualized process, I mean, I'll, I'll open the question to our aspirants and sort of if you can sort of let us know how how that process went with deciding which classes you were going to take and how the communication between you whether that be your advisor and the host university or our home university and how, how that process kind of came about. Fortunately, a lot of the coursework, um, so I'm a, a bachelor's of science in economics and political science. And the most of the coursework that I had um, that I still had to fulfill was a few 400 level economics courses and some data science courses that were required for my political science degree. And Fortunately, the school we went to is called the School of Political Science and Economics, and so there was no shortage of courses to fulfill those requirements. And so the 
in the first week of classes there, we had um, an opportunity, much like the ad drop period here, to sit in on courses, talk to teachers, figure out which ones we want to take. And then throughout that time, I was corresponding with my advisor in the political science department who um, approved them and told me where they would fit in my degree process. And um, then at the end of my study abroad program, they I sent my transcripts to um, Penn State and they approved them and then they showed up on my my um, transcript. Great. I, I feel like that sounds like a very, a very fluid process. It happened over a period of time. And even when you got there, you had sort of like a testing period where you can talk to professors there and sort of add and drop. So I feel like that adds a lot of dimension to um, how how it is that one plans their courses in a study abroad experience. Um, Shristi or Ezra, do you guys have anything to add here? Yeah, I feel like mine was a little bit different in the sense that, like Susan mentioned, um, it was very structured for me. So I already knew what credits I was going to get and where it was going to go. Um, I should mention that because um, I'm a global international studies major and it's so broad, um, there's um, a couple different areas in which you can choose to concentrate in. And I just so happened to choose to concentrate in human rights. So um, my study abroad experience was going to go directly into that to fulfill that credit for me. And it was six credits um, in criminology. And even though I'm not a crim major, it was still just going to fulfill um, that that area. It sounds to me, uh, Srishti, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, that your study abroad experience is very much informed by your future aspirations to join the UN and sort of it's more of like a future um, oriented where, where I feel like although Charles and Ezra definitely have their are planning out their future, it seems like it's just more connected with their coursework, at least from what I got from from, from Charles. It was just very direct. So I have these courses that I need to fulfill uh, for my for my major and I'm going to do them abroad. Is that would that be a correct character characterization of you as well, Ezra? Or Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, just on the point that, that Charles was talking about how credits were transferring. Um, you know, I, I didn't think the process was so fluid, not at any fault to Penn State or LSE, but there was no established relationship with Penn State and LSE. There was, I think there was one or two students that had done this program before, but it was at least five or 10 years earlier. So there wasn't much familiarity. And I would, I would remember planning with my advisor, like how I could graduate on time, but I, he, he didn't know what credits were going to be approved. So I'd be selecting these courses in London, not knowing what I could kind of check off of my required course list. Um, however, what I did really like was that London LSE made you select your courses as a part of the application process. So you had to select, you know, what courses you want to take in applying before you're even admitted. And then you had to reselect your courses after being admitted in the summer before you started. And then a third time you could sit in on all the courses that you wanted and then change them. Um, so that was really great. It seemed like, and they and they've been using this system for you know, hundreds of years, I guess since eighteen the nineties. Um, the biggest difference, though, was a lot of our courses were what's called a full unit, which is two semesters for us, and it would be you know the whole year in London. From the sounds of it, Charles and, and Ezra's experience planning out courses. Um, sound like there was a lot of a lot of back and forth and some some conflict there and and for Srishti it seemed a lot more smooth of a process um so Susan can you please clue us in on why you think that is sure so um we're lucky that we have 
representatives here who've participated in a variety of programs. And so Shristi's program was what we would call a Penn State program. It's organized and offered through Penn State's Education Abroad Office. And in her particular case was led by one of our faculty members in the College of the Liberal Arts. And those tend to be uh, maybe a little bit easier to see what the course um, courses might be. There are also a range of Penn State programs that are with uh, partners, uh, partner institutions around the world. And often those have a pretty solid history of courses that past Penn State students have taken on those programs. So if you're looking at one of those programs, you can do a review of the historical course list and get a, a pretty good idea of what might be possible. And also, you know, maybe look at some options that haven't students haven't taken before. In the case of Ezra and Charles, they went to the London School of Economics. That's not a program that Penn State has an affiliation with, as they mentioned. So in that case, the students who go on non-Penn State programs, which is not an uncommon thing, but it does require a bit more legwork, I would say, on the part of the student. And there might be a little bit more effort in terms of um, understanding the courses they're going to take and how they'll count and also how to get them transferred back to Penn State through the Office of Admissions. Great. And, and, and so for, for the Penn State um, study abroad programs, where, where can students go to find um, the different study abroad programs available through Penn State? So Penn State's Education Abroad Office, it's global.psu.edu. Uh, they have a great resource uh, and a program page basically for every program that is offered through Penn State. And the program page will tell students the requirements for the program. So if you have to be a certain semester standing or a certain GPA, if you have to have certain language uh, background, it will indicate um, the types of courses you can take. It would tell you what your housing options might be on that program. Uh, basically just gives you a, a lot of information about the program so you can easily compare and contrast different options if you're not sure exactly where you'd like to go or you have a couple of different programs that you're considering you can even go into the budget sheets and sort of look at what are the costs and and do some estimates and comparisons that way as well so global.psu.edu is a great place to get started great and and there's two 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 things from that that i want to branch off onto and i'll start with the first um ezra and charles uh, they told me that they, or they they said that they had rolling admissions. Um, does this happen to be the case for the Penn State affiliated study abroad programs or are there deadlines? And if there are, where, when do those deadlines happen to be? So that is not the case with Penn State programs. There are deadlines. And so I'm having a blank moment on the deadlines. But I know that the fall semester deadline and the academic year deadline for next year has just passed. So March 15th, usually. Uh, the summer deadlines for summer programs is usually, I want to say, February 1st or February 15th. Um, and then the spring deadline is usually, that one does have three different deadlines. So there will be a deadline early in May, a deadline in July, and then a final deadline in September for any programs that still have openings. So that one, you have a little bit more um you have more options as far as the deadlines, but as programs get filled, they will close. And so you want to make sure if there's some place that you're really interested in going, you get in by that first deadline. And each of the program pages on the Edubroad website at the very bottom of the page, it will indicate what the deadline is for that program for each of the semesters that it's offered. Okay. And is there, is there usually like a consistency, like for, for most programs, the deadline would be um, at a certain point in time, like say for all summer programs, most of them are the deadlines at a specific time or do they happen to vary a lot? No, they tend to be a specific time. Um, like I said, for, for most summer programs, it's usually uh, February 1st or February 15th. I, I'm, I apologize, I'm blanking on the exact um, date for that. 
but then, um, yeah, the fall and academic year. So they tend to be the same. The way I like to tell students to think about it, with the exception of summer, for fall and spring, you're usually thinking about and applying about a year in advance. So if you're going in the fall, you're applying the spring before. If you're going in the spring, you're usually applying the spring, summer before. Um, so the exception to that is the summer where you're applying early in the spring to do something that summer. Great, great. And and I like how you mentioned uh, the way students should think about it. And so that 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 gets me to to one of the other questions I had, and this is for our aspirants. Um, is there anything specific, or you can list things, um, that you wish you knew prior to committing to a study abroad experience or study abroad program? Excuse me. And if there are, what are those things? I so I don't know if there is anything specific that I wish I had known. There's. I had a lot of support from both Penn State and LSE in kind of helping me assimilate and um, make sure that all my coursework would transfer. And because I was with Ezra, I had a bit of um, a social network there to support me while I was making friends. But I think the main thing for me that I would give as advice is just to really prioritize the social element of it, because it really is just so fun to study abroad. It's really so fun. And a lot of the time, I think since it was cut short by the pandemic, part of me kind of regrets that I hadn't traveled more, that I didn't kind of spend more time just exploring London and exploring England and um, meeting people rather than focusing on school, which may not be what we want the, the message of this podcast to be. But um, I, I think that, that a major part of studying abroad is the social element, and it's something that should be prioritized in um in deciding where you go and what you want to do, if that's something what you're interested in. I actually want to pick up on that um, because you mentioned that, Charles. Um, as someone who, like, in this call, like, didn't have, like, another friend prior to, like, going on that trip um, with them, um, I think if people who are nervous about going alone or not knowing if they're going to make any friends or anything like that, like... I don't think that that is the case and that shouldn't dissuade you from going and studying abroad on your own. Um, I feel like you're going to go um, with a lot of people who are like-minded individuals and they all want to kind of like do the same stuff that you want to do too and learn the same thing. So I feel like it's going to be really easy to make friends. Like I literally made friends the very first day I got off the plane, like, and we we're just sitting there in the airport. So <laughs> it's really easy. And I feel like you like you find a lot of like your community really quickly and also, another thing is, um, I wish I knew like how much time I would actually have to, to actually explore like the Netherlands and outside of that. Um, I had a lot of free time. Classes were kind of like between Mondays through late Thursday. So we actually had like the long weekend to kind of like do our own thing, explore either Amsterdam or Rotterdam, because those were the two main cities that we were located in. Um, but those are also central hubs for a lot of other cities like Paris, Brussels, all these things. So um, we actually had a decent amount of time to go, but it was just like, I wish we had known that in advance so that we could have planned a little bit more ahead of time because things do kind of fill up. Completely echo what Charles and, and Tristy are saying. Um, I think the highlight of going abroad for me was probably and, and the thing that I remember to this day was the people I met and uh, I think Charles can kind of echo this but the way it was designed for us was general course which is the year-long study abroad program 
is baked into LSE. So every year they have a certain amount of general course students that take classes with everybody else. And it's, you definitely feel like you have a place at that campus because you know, there's this consistent group of students that are always there and referred to as a general course, but most of them are American. And so the highlight for me was because we were there for a year, or we should have been there for a year, we had enough time to start to acclimate and like meet these students that weren't necessarily American study abroad students. And the first semester, uh, like I was kind of going out with a lot of the American students, traveling with the American students and spending a lot of time with them. But um, Charles and I kind of did a good job of trying to get involved with on-campus activities. So, so Charles joined the squash team, I joined tennis, and there was just like this culture of every Wednesday, you'd have whatever team you were affiliated with practice and then people would go to the, you know, go to the pub in the afternoon. And then I gradually met these other friends and I ended up going on a trip to Morocco with people from Hong Kong, Malaysia, and only one other American out of like 10 students. And that was just one of the most amazing experiences was being in this completely new place with completely new people. And just, it's, it's the kind of thing that you would never get to experience if you didn't go abroad and if you didn't kind of go abroad off the grain outside of like a, a Penn State program necessarily. Um, so yeah, I, I completely agree that the social aspect is a highlight and bait and just set aside time to travel because that's what you're going to remember for the rest of your life. Definitely, definitely. And traveling alone, it, it does teach you a lot. Um, and so traveling and being engaged in sort of a university setting with other people your age, it's a lot of opportunities to take advantage of. And uh, I do, I, I can kind of echo the sentiment that I, I think it's, 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 it can be a little bit overwhelming to, on one hand, you want to go outside and explore everything that's going on in, 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 your, in the area you're visiting. But at the same time, you have all of this, all of this uh, coursework. Um, Swristi, I know you said that you, your, your study abroad program in the summertime was, it was quite, you had some time, you had some free time to go and do, and do what you liked. Um, was that the case for, for, for you, Charles and Ezra, or did you find it more um, confining uh, studying abroad in the, in the fall semester? Is, I, is, is that right? So I'm, I'm glad you asked this question because I think it's one of the most interesting points of contrast between the curriculum at LSE and the curriculum at Penn State. So there was a fair amount of coursework, but the way it's staggered out is you the most of your grade is weighted on one or two assignments, which maybe you'll complete at the end of the first term and the end of, end of the second term. And so even though you do have you do have to work, you do have to follow along, you don't kind of have the daily rhythm of monotonous econ assignments as you might at Penn State because most of your grade is weighted on either a midterm exam or um, some essays. And so in that sense, even though the coursework was a major element of the experience, it kind of frees up a lot of time where when you're really working on coursework, you're really working on coursework, but then the rest of the time you can you can take some books with you, you can read while you're traveling. I took several trips where I, during the school year, I went to, um, I went to Spain, I took days off to, um, to travel throughout England. And so there's, there was ample time to um, kind of balance both aspects of the experience. Yeah, I, I completely agree with Charles. And the, the other thing that's great is if you're in the right environment of students where everybody wants to travel, you'll be able to pick up on other people's trips and you know everyone kind of has the same priority going on. So that was first semester, uh, like general course students were living in Europe for the first time. So they were all excited to, to get around. 
and you know you could just hop on these weekend trips and go to Amsterdam and go to Paris but like I said you were largely going with Americans so you you might be uh you know in Europe and seeing all these European attractions but the only people that you're getting to know are students from like uh Kentucky and students from like wherever a lot of students are Babson like places in the east coast a lot of the way um but because we had enough time and I would really recommend that people go abroad for a longer period of time to get the experience of not just meeting other Americans um and I and I kind of want to echo that point too and I'm sure that there's Penn State programs where you'll really get the get the experience of meeting all kinds of new people but I think a lot of people go abroad and they only spend time with people that are already similar to them and it was amazing like I think Charles and I had a perfect balance because we had been to Thailand just months before going to London so we had you know our, our repertoire pretty well established but we, we both kind of wanted to to branch out and to just embed ourselves in this new place yeah, yeah. And from from what you're saying, you're saying um, it, it's good to spend time with people who are different from yourself. And I, I take that from meaning maybe different nationality or, or different culture. Um, Srishti earlier said that she met a lot of like-minded people. So please let us know a little bit about that. What I mean by like-minded, I mean, a lot of us already kind of knew, like based off of the course description and kind of talking to the professor who was leading it to um, what it was going to be centered around, which is like social justice, international and human rights. And so a lot of that, like we already kind of knew and it's, it's like you're picking the program because you're obviously a interested and B a lot of them were either a crim major already or a social major because they had taken a class um, with this professor beforehand. Um, he, I should say that like the caveat there is that um, he had been leading a another study abroad program that was uh, garnered more towards like social justice and policing and things like that, because that's very much criminology um, for a couple of years. Um, and it was only that year when he was um, offering this new section that was different and it was geared towards international human rights and things like that. Um, so because it was kind of popular and they already knew about it, I guess like they had already had information versus like, I'm like the new kid there because I'm not a crim or soch major. I'm a global international studies major. So I was a little bit different there, but we all had similar interests and like future uh, career interests. Gotcha. Gotcha. Um, I just want to reel us back just a little bit um, to what Susan was talking about earlier. She was talking about, um, sort of like the, the the financial aspect of, you know, finding different study abroad programs and weighing them based on how much each of them cost. So in regards to that, what kind of scholarships are available for us as paternal fellow students and where can people go to, to find them? I'll start with maybe the college specific. So as a paternal fellow student, um, you can apply for liberal arts enrichment funds. And when we get your liberal arts enrichment funds application, we'll be able to see that you're a paternal fellow and then we'll be drawing um, your awards from the accounts that are specifically directed for supporting Paterno Fellows. So it's the regular Liberal Arts Enrichment Funds application that Paterno Fellows would use. And um, application is on the Career Enrichment Network website. We also send it out pretty regularly in the weekly student newswire. And I think Barb Edwards also sends it out pretty regularly in the Paterno Fellows newswire encouraging students to apply. Um, you know, we're very fortunate in the college to have those resources and we absolutely want students to use them when they can. 
there are some differences in the award amounts between Penn State and non-Penn State programs, so that might be something to weigh um, and consider when you're looking at different options. After you look at the college, um, when we get your application, we will also share it with any of your academic departments. So if you're, let's say, CRIM and philosophy, we would be sharing your application with both of those departments. And if either department have had any additional funding that they were able to provide from a department level, they would be sharing that information with you directly. Once you get out of the college, education abroad, when you apply for a Penn State program, as part of the application, they ask you some questions about different scholarships that you would be eligible for through at abroad. And so they have a number of um, financial aid sort of scholarship opportunities through there. And then on a kind of broader level, the um, Undergraduate Research and Fellowship Mentoring Office in Buki Building also has a number of scholarships that they work with students to apply to or have competitive applications for that are um, really competitive, like the Boren Awards or Gilman Scholarships. So I always think that, you know, looking at the urfm.psu.edu uh, website is a great place to go just to see some of those other um, more kind of broad scholarships. Um, and then finally, the Ed Abroad office on the Ed Abroad website has an up-to-date list of opportunities that are like external um, scholarships. They might be government agencies or study abroad program providers or nonprofit organizations. And so it just gives you more ideas if in those you would typically go to those organizations and apply separately through them. Um, but just to give you the broadest possible idea of where you could get funding. Yeah, great. Um, for, for our listeners, what we'll include all of the links in, in, in the description are along with this, so you don't have to get too overwhelmed. We'll, we'll include that information for you. Um, just just something that I picked up on that. You were talking about, say, if you were a crim and philosophy major, that you could possibly get funds from two different places. Uh, am I correct in saying that? Yeah, actually, you know, the good news is from, from the college's perspective, we want you to get funding from as many places as you possibly can. So, for example, as a Paterno Fellow, you can also apply to Schreier. So I neglected to mention that, but you can apply to Schreier once you've been um, admitted to Schreier because they also have travel grants to fund and support study abroad. So we have students who will get maybe some funds from the college for Paterno Fellows and then some funds from Schreier. And then maybe they happen to be able to get some funding from their department or an education abroad scholarship, or they're fortunate enough to apply for the Boren or Gilman or FLAS. It's a foreign language uh, scholarship. So I have seen students be pretty creative and apply to a broad array of different funding opportunities to really help them in defraying some of those costs. Um, the other thing I wanted to just piggyback on that Ezra was talking about in terms of, of really kind of meeting students from your host country or from other countries is when you're looking at different study abroad programs, I also would agree. I, I think that it's as long as you're able to study abroad, the better. I've never talked with a student who regretted that they were there longer. Um, usually people who are there for the summer say they wish they had gone for the semester and people who were there for the semester said they wish they could have stayed longer and stayed for the year. So that's just something to think about, even though it might feel a little daunting at the front end to consider being away for a full year. Uh, but I wanted to mention that Penn State offers a number of programs that are exchanges with uh, different institutions around the world. So basically that means that you're going to study at that institution and that institution is sending a student to study at Penn State. So you're kind of swapping spots in a sense. And that means you're really fully integrated with the students from that institution, kind of like what Ezra and Charles were describing um, with the general course at LSE. So 
you know, some programs might be more of a study center where you're studying with a lot of other American students from Penn State or from other American institutions, but you can certainly also be looking at exchange programs. So it's just something to think about when you're looking at the different types of study abroad programs. Great, great. And I think I think that's um, that's a great segue into something I also wanted to, to discuss. Um, say we have students listening that are thinking of picking up a language while 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 studying studying abroad. Um, would I be correct in saying that the exchange program would probably be the, the right way for them to go because then they're they're sort of mixing in with people that are actually from the area that they're going to. And so it's easier to sort of pick up languages and, and different things um, during their study abroad experience. I think that could be a good way to look at it. Um, but the other thing to think about is uh, there are plenty of language programs where you might be at a study center, but you might have the option to take some of your courses at the study center and then some courses at a local institution. So you're kind of um, you know, in this nice middle space where you have some interaction with American students and some interaction with students from that host country. The other thing that I would suggest students really strongly consider when they're looking at language acquisition type programs is, you know, consider a homestay. And again, I know that might initially feel a little bit uncomfortable or daunting, but it really is a great way to, um, to, to learn the language, to practice the language in just kind of daily contexts. Uh, I, I did that myself actually as a a summer vacation one year, I took an extended vacation and went to um, Spain to the University of Santiago de Compostela and took a summer program there. And even though I was, you know, maybe 40 years old at the time, I lived with a homestay family, which was a little bit funny. But at the same time, I had really interesting conversations with their teenage son and would watch The Simpsons every day at lunchtime. And, um, you know, I learned a lot of colloquial language that I probably would not have learned otherwise. Definitely. And can you please like talk to us a little bit about the homestays? This is the first time I really hear about it. So for a lot of study abroad programs, you'll have a number of different housing options. Uh, so sometimes it might be a residence hall, like a dorm that you might have at Penn State. And you're living with other students. Sometimes it might be an apartment um, and sometimes you might be having the option to do a homestay. And if it's an option to do a homestay, usually it's a provider program and they have coordinated these homestays with families that they have vetted. And you would be living with a family um, from that place. And usually some meals that would be included. So when you're looking at program pages on the Edibroad website, you'll see it'll provide some information whether there's a homestay available. And like in my case, my home mom uh, provided me with lunch and dinner every day. But I would usually just go to the cafe on campus and get some breakfast and a coffee. So that's just something, again, you know, I, I ate things that I probably would not have known or have eaten um, if I were just you know, eating out at a, a dining hall or something like that. So it was just a nice way to to experience more of that particular region's culture. Um, but the, the homestays are typically, you know, vetted by the study abroad program provider. Sounds like a bargain to me. Home cooked meals and a study abroad program. Sounds great. From, from, from here, I, I, I sort of want um, our aspirants to sort of talk about their application process and how long it took them. And just if you can walk us through some of the biggest parts of the application process and what students should be you know, expecting when they start their study abroad program applications. So for the, for the general course, it, I believe that it starts with a, a personal statement, which is the same personal statement that you write for most things that you're applying for, whether it be fellowships or um, jobs. So I think it was around 750 words where it was explain kind of an intellectual agenda, like what you're interested in, what you want to study, and why the general course is kind of a unique opportunity to help you 
fulfill that um, ambition of yours. And then I think it was just that. I think it was just that application. And then after I was accepted, I was um, offered a chance to apply for scholarship. So I applied for the, the John C. Fell in general course scholarship, as did Ezra. And then that was another maybe 500, 750 word essay about why we were deserving of um, a scholarship. And both of us received um, funds from LSE to attend. So that we were very fortunate in that regard. So it was, I'd say the 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 application process was no um was very similar to applying to to college. It was just a couple essays and then some um the the financials of it. Great. If I if I could just interject there real quick, um, could you and um, Ezra please let us know? You know, share the secrets about what you wrote about in those essays to get those uh, scholarships. So I um, as Susan was saying the the financial resources that Penn State has to support students going abroad are, um, they're, they're different for whether you're undertaking a Penn State approved program or a program um, that Penn State has a relationship with or a program that's not. So LSE um, and Penn State don't have a formal relationship. So the financial aid that I received from Penn State did not carry over. And even the um, liberal arts enrichment funds and Schreier funds for the most part did not um, apply to the experience. So fortunately, we did receive funds from the Presidential Leadership Academy. And then um, I just wrote an essay about how my parents were educators and they'd sent me to schools my entire life. And the kind of paradox of being an educator in the United States is that a lot of the time you you care about education more than anyone, but you're relying upon other people's generosity to kind of provide the same thing for your children if you want them to get the best education possible. And um, it seems like they thought that was compelling enough to to give me enough money to go. And um, because of that experience of getting a scholarship, I had the opportunity to work with the Philanthropy and Global Engagement Office at the London School of Economics this past fall, I um, spoke before the North American Advisory Board for the school and had uh, an interview um, before the advisory board with the head of the London School of Economics. And we talked about sustainability and how Penn State and LSE kind of differ in their um, their approach. And so that experience alone opened up doors that um, I never would have thought would have been possible um, when I was initially entering the, the general course. Yeah, just to kind of echo all the things that Charles said i think that like if there's one thing i've learned in college just in general and this is bigger than just studying abroad and you know academics and whatever else is to apply to everything and it's it's come through with pitch competitions it's come through with um you know like major stuff and stuff within my academics but then particularly with studying abroad and there's just so many resources at penn state like i was able to pick up a minor in jewish studies and because I was taking a class on the Israeli-Palestinian conflict in London, I was able to qualify for a scholarship from Jewish studies. Schreier has money set aside for the specific purpose of students studying abroad if it pertains to their thesis. So, you know, if you have a reason why studying abroad pertains to your thesis, you're eligible for money. PLA has money set aside um, for any sort of engagement, like enrichment activity. Paternal Fellows has money set aside. College of Liberal Arts has money set aside. So you know, my experience at Penn State is just that this school is so resource rich and it's also so decentralized. And so you're kind of on like a scavenger hunt 
of going to all these different places that have their own buckets and like seeing how you qualify, uh, you know, to, to receive funding. And so that, and, and that, you know, we mentioned Corey actually at the beginning of this call, but Corey is somebody, he's older than us. He graduated um, from Paternal Fellows of College of Liberal Arts in Trier, but he really taught me that, you know, the, the opportunities are there before you, you just have to make yourself available to them and you have to know what the school offers. And so, yeah, and in terms of like wording and language, I think that Penn State and specifically the College of Liberal Arts want you to succeed. And when you do succeed, they like really cherish, you know, your success and they share it you know, almost to a point where it's embarrassing, but they, they really root for you. And I think that you're selling yourself short if you don't, um, you know, if you don't take advantage of that and if you don't like just let the people that want to help you help you. For me, my experience is very much interconnected already. Um, I mean, the College of Liberal Arts, Paterno Fellows, like that was just streamlined for me. Um, and then Global International Studies, my department, they encourage studying abroad. So, I mean, they have money set aside. So that was also put in my application. And then I just reached out to Schreier, got money from there um, for my scholarships. Um, my application was slightly different, I would say. Um, it's a pretty standard um application that you would do if you were to do like a Penn State faculty-led program or just in general something that Penn State um, has through their at abroad office. Um, it was very simple, just like, I guess, short answers and long answers, um, both kind of explaining like what program you're interested in and then um, why you're interested in it. Um, I'd also like, I guess it kind of helps, I would say, if you have a faculty already listed, I think, um, especially if it's like one of the ones that I had done, which is like a faculty led program. And if it says, you know, the Penn State professor on there, honestly, I think it would really help um, if you just kind of go and talk to them. I know it's a little bit different now with like the pandemic and everything, but like even just scheduling like a Zoom call or something like that through Starfish to kind of talk to them. Um, it always makes it, like more personable and also just a little bit easier and less daunting when you're trying to apply um, because they're also putting like a face to a name. Yeah, that's kind of what I did. And beyond that, like what I kind of explained even in my um, letters for these scholarships was kind of just saying that this is something that I'm really interested in and would help me kind of align my passions with the future. And I'm so glad for it because I actually figured out my thesis, um, my graduation thesis uh, topic while I was studying abroad. So that was even bigger plus. Yeah, I think I think like what I'm what I'm getting from from all three of you guys is that you were you very well utilized all of the different opportunities available and uh, made the, that initiative to 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 find scholarships and and. I think that's very important for 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 all the students listening. Um, there are a lot of opportunities out there. You just have to go look for them. Um, I'm not sure if uh, Susan, you had anything to to add to anything that um, anyone just said. I would agree with all of that. I, I you know what Ezra said is so true. It's the it's the beauty and the challenge of a place the size of Penn State. We do have a lot of resources and a lot of opportunities. The challenge is you do have to scavenge around and make sure you're getting connected. And so I do always encourage students, it never hurts to ask. The answer might be no. It might be, I can't help you with this particular pot of money, but hey, why don't you talk with somebody, this other person? They might be able to help you. And I'm always more than willing to do that. If, if there's some reason I can't help someone, I, I would redirect them because I, I want you to tap into as many resources as you can to, to make you know take full advantage of them. 
Definitely, definitely. It does never hurt to ask. That's all the time we have for today's episode. I'd like to offer a big thanks to the panelists, as this would not have been made possible without them. And thank you at home for listening. We hope that you'll join us again here on the Paterno Fellows podcast, the home for all things Paterno.